Welcome everybody to Rise Above. This is now episode number five, which is so awesome. And this is a series where I get to highlight people and their stories and just share what each different person that comes on and is my guest has had to experience and how they've chosen to rise above their circumstances. And today I have two very special guests, Jason and Amy Kolb. And a little bit about Jason. Um, He went to Wheaton College. And for those of you who don't know, it's in Chicago. Is that right? right. Yep. Yep. Chicago. Suburbs. The suburbs of Chicago. Okay. It's private school, great college. And um, he sold with Southwestern Advantage. So funny enough, the same program I did also in college. And he sold in 95, 96, and 97. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he went to the Washington University School of Medicine. He has been practicing 20 years in emergency medicine, which is awesome. And he is married 24 years to Amy, and they have four kids, 13 to 20. And some of his hobbies include reading, snow skiing, water sports, and golf. So Welcome. Thank you. (laughs) We're really honored uh, and excited to be here. Yeah. So um, I love that your hobbies are so active. Yeah. That's very impressive. I I skied, golfed like one or two times and I was not very good at it. So I'm impressed. (laughs) Yeah. So my story, um, I want to start with a brief story from Wheaton College so it's a Christian college, and as freshmen, we all had to take this class called the Theology of Culture. And the very first class, that first week of school, I remember the professor saying, he actually wrote it on the board. He wrote this statement, God is God, and I am not. And as an 18-year-old who you know knew it all, I thought... <laughs> That is the stupidest statement I've ever heard. (laughs) I'm like, I'm paying for this education. This is, what is this? Um, But I want to circle back to that maybe at the end of the talk, because I've come to to realize the profound truth of that statement. Why did you, why did you think it was, why, why did you scoff at, at it? Was it because it seemed so simplistic or? Yeah, it was like, some simplistic, self-evident, like, what does that even mean? And I don't remember his discussion about it. I don't remember anything else about that class. I just remember that statement thinking, you know, what, what does this mean? It means nothing. It just, it repeats itself. So, yeah, I mean, 30 years later, though, I think that's a profound truth and it's one um, that helped me rise above. So yeah, I sold books for three years and that was, um, I feel like that's the brotherhood and the sister, like the band of brothers and sisters. You never lose that. So that's why we're, why I'm here is because, you know, you and I share that experience and we're introduced by a mutual friend. So you mentioned medical school and practice as an emergency medicine physician. And I also did some addiction medicine work, which I loved. And, you know, fast forward to January of this year, you know, life is, life is really good. Um, Family and good marriage and meaningful work and well-compensated work in, in the emergency department. And I had been thinking for a few years, just this thought would pop into my mind that, you know, I've really not had any adversity in life. And it's not because I'm a great guy. I just recognized that I hadn't had a lot of adversity. And so January of this year, um, I do an annual ski trip with some guys from church. And there's about 10 or 12 of us. And it's a long weekend. And we go to Colorado. We go to Copper Mountain. And kind of a men's retreat and Bible study. And, you know, I love it. Um, I've been skiing since I was in fifth grade. 
Oh, wow. So you were a pro. Well, (laughs) I mean, I'm not bragging, but (laughs) pretty good. Fifth grade. Yeah, that's a lot of Have you snow skied? Is that what you said? Yeah, I mean, so few times, maybe two or three times, and it was a disaster. So I really have a lot of respect for that. (laughs) Well, probably not a lot of skiing in Texas or Florida, I'm guessing. (laughs) No, not not, not Uh, any. we, We ski a little bit here in Northeast Ohio, but it's much better in Colorado. And this was our last day of skiing, like the last day of our trip. It was January 29th. It was a Sunday. And it was just right after noon. I was with two other guys, Caleb and John. And this was our last run before lunch. And for any of the listeners that have skied out in Colorado, you know, from the top of the mountain down, it can be a two mile trail. It's pretty long. And so, what most of us would do is we'd ski a couple of minutes, stop, catch up with our friends, catch our breath ski another two minutes, same thing. And so we were at kind of our last stop before we get to the very bottom of the hill. And um, we took a selfie, I'll I'll share it with you, just a few minutes before my accident. And Caleb went first and I went second and John went third. And this was an insanely steep trail that was groomed. So it was very smooth and there was no bumps. There was no moguls. And you know, what that means is that you can go really fast. And I have an app on my phone that it tracks the trails that I go on, the miles that I've skied, the vertical feet that I've skied. And it also tracks my speed. And so I know at this time I was traveling just a little bit north of 50 miles an hour Whoa. and right at the bottom of the hill, I made a wrong turn. And for those again, that have been out to like one of the bigger ski resorts in Colorado or elsewhere at the bottom of the mountain, they had cut out a tubing hill for the kids mainly. And so it's this man-made tubing hill right at the bottom of the hill near the lift that I was going to. And as I was traveling and and made a big left-hand turn and going 50 miles an hour, I was going over these small hills. And then I turned right and I crested a hill and I found myself at the top of the tubing hill. And the last thing I remember as I crested this hill was seeing like 20 kids you know, with their tubes and they were, they were riding up the hill on, they call it a magic carpet. It's think of one of those moving sidewalks in the airport going up the hill. And I saw kids coming up the hill and kids at the top of the tubing hill. And I had like three milliseconds that I saw this and I thought I'm going to crash into these kids. And it was about a 20 to 30 foot steep drop down to this tubing hill and I remember trying to stop once and that's the last thing I remember I was knocked unconscious and Caleb was way ahead of me and John was right behind me so he saw the fall he came to my side and after a minute or two I woke up you know very confused Um, if you've ever had a concussion knocked unconscious you know that you kind of emerge from that very confused and John was at my side And the first thing I remember him asking me is, do your legs hurt? And what I didn't know is that my legs were like 90 degrees sideways to me. And he thought I had broken both of my hips. Mm -hmm. And I felt, I remember I felt with my right hand on my right thigh and I couldn't feel anything. So I took my glove off and I unzipped my coats and I started feeling down my chest and I could feel it. And I remember thinking I can move my arms. This is good. But when I got to my belly button, I lost sensation. And I remembered way back to medical school (laughs) that the belly button is T10 or thoracic level 10. And so below my belly button, I lost sensation. And I told John, I'm a T10 paraplegic and I'm never going to walk again. But God's grace will be sufficient. 
Now, what I could feel was tremendous pain in my rib cage and in my chest. And what we found out later after x-rays and CAT scans is that I'd had 13 broken ribs and I broke my sternum and I broke my collarbone and I had multiple rib or multiple spine fractures, but the most severe was at T10. It had burst and the bone fragments had um, completely injured my spinal cord. So I had a complete spinal cord injury at T10. So nothing from the belly button down worked. Wow. So um, I just, I remember laying there on the cold snow and I kind of had tunnel vision. All I could see, you know, I was, I'm looking up and I'd see John's face come in front of me and the ski patrol introducing themselves. And, you know, as a physician, I have a lot of knowledge, maybe too much knowledge. You know, I know what's coming and I know what's next. And they took me down the hill and they put me in the ambulance and, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, they took me to the local hospital there in the mountains because Denver is about 75 miles from the ski resorts. So they took me to the, the, the closest hospital. And, you know, I've been the ER doctor that's treated countless trauma patients. And now I am the trauma patient. And I know what's coming. I know what they're going to do. And I know what they're going to ask. And... Um, they were all so wonderful to me, all my caregivers from the ski patrol to the paramedics, to the ER physicians and the nurses, and they did their trauma evaluation and they wanted to fly me to Denver, but the weather was too bad. So I had to go by ground and the transport was going to take a couple hours because of all the traffic on Sunday afternoon, everyone that's skiing in Denver or excuse me, everyone that's skiing in the mountains from Denver, they all go back. So it's a big traffic jam on I-70. So the ER doctor said that they recommended that they intubate me and sedate me for that trip. And I said, that was fine. And the last thing I remember is them um, calling for ketamine, which is the medication they used to sedate me. And then I woke up in the ICU. But before that, I, I told John... I'm so sorry that you've got to call Amy. And he said, what do you want me to tell her? And I said, tell her that I love her and tell her the truth. <laughs> Don't sugarcoat it. Right. And, you know, I'm sorry that you're the one that has to give her this bad news. Mm. So he did. So I guess, and I'm, I'm such a visual person. So I'm trying to, as you were telling the story, imagine in my head, what it looked like. So, cause it almost seems like, oh, you were going down a mountain and then you took a curve and ended up just going down another slope, the, the tubing slope. But mm -hmm. was it just because you were going so fast that you couldn't make the transition from going down the mountain to then going down the tubing or where, where exactly did the crash happen? Yeah, it or is a picture. And even yeah. for friends that ski, it's hard to picture how this accident happened, but, um, it, there should have been ropes and fences marking this off. So it was an, it was an unmarked obstacle and it wasn't a 90 degree drop. It was maybe a 45 degree drop, which is, you know, extremely steep and there's no way to, to stop. So speed was involved. I, I kind of flew over this and went down 20 to 30 feet and landed on flat ground at the top of the, oh. the top of the tubing hill is flat surface. And then they, they jump on their tube and they slide down this hill. So it was an unmarked obstacle that I ended up going over. And, you know, Nicole, I still don't even really know how it happened. I had skied the trail just 20 minutes prior and I should have stayed left and gone back to the lift, but I, I made this sharp right-hand turn. It was a wrong turn and went down. I mean, you're not supposed to go there. It's, it's a, but seeing the pictures for me, like from afar, you, it does look like you, that's an option. You could go to this right way. It looked like well, a the trail. The right way was, uh, boom. So 
Yeah, it just was unclear that he had to go left. I guess I was thinking that in my brain, I was kind of connecting them, but it was it was literally a drop off. Like you take the right turn and then it was drop off into this tubing. Okay, that makes yeah, that makes more sense. And I'll share a picture from the bottom of the mountain, but even still, it's hard to it's hard to discern. Yeah, yeah. So when it happened, you know, obviously you went unconscious. I've actually never been knocked out or had a concussion Mm -hmm. or anything, so. I bet that that's terrible because, you know, you wake up and you're, what, what happened? I don't know. So the first person you saw was your friend. Did you say Brian? John. 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 Okay. And I had a helmet on. Um, I guess I hit my head pretty hard because the the foam padding, that outline was on my scalp <laughs> the next morning they could see. And in some ways it was God's grace to get knocked unconscious. I don't really want to recall all that trauma, but it was brief and I woke up confused. And I remember when I first woke up, I knew something terrible had happened, but I, I didn't know who it had happened to. I thought it had something had happened to somebody else. And then it, yeah. And then it dawned on me, something has happened to me. You know, and then I realized kind of the severity of my injuries, but even still that whole trip down the mountain, which wasn't that far because I was almost at the bottom of the mountain and into the ambulance and into the trauma bay is still very foggy. Although I remember talking to the paramedics and they they said, hey, should we give you this medicine? Because <laughs> they knew I was an ER doctor. And I just said, you know, follow your protocol. You guys do whatever you think is right. And I remember I asked the medics for pain medication because many ambulance carry narcotics and they did. They had fentanyl, which fentanyl is what's killing 100,000 Americans a year from overdoses. But it's also used all the time in the ER and in the operating room. So they said, yeah, they had fentanyl. And they, they sprayed it into my nose and it just went straight down my throat. <laughs> I thought I just drank fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have some memories of that transport, but a lot of it's really foggy. Yeah. I think it's so fascinating. I mean, it's such an interesting part of your story that you are an ER doctor and you did that for 20 years. I mean, so obviously you've witnessed countless times, like you had mentioned, of mm-hmm. treating patients with trauma had you ever thought previously the possibility of that ever happening to you or what that might be like, or, I mean, what was going on in your head when this did happen and you were like, Oh, I, I know exactly what they're going to say and what the protocols are. Well, the first thing is that I thought I'm going to try so hard to be a good patient. Okay. So for any of those that are in healthcare, healthcare providers are typically the worst patients right? They want to manage their own care or they have knowledge. And so I wanted to be a good patient. Um, but there on the mountain, the, the, the ski patrol properly wanted to immobilize my neck. And so they put this neck collar, like this rigid neck collar on me, which is protocol. But I'm telling you, Nicole, it was made for a kid. It was like this tiny thing and it choked me. And I'm like, so I took it off. And I'm like, I can't tolerate this. And they're they're like, you know, we've got to immobilize your neck. And I told them, I don't have a neck injury. I have a T10 injury. You know, it's my low back. (laughs) And then my oxygen level on the mountain there was a little bit low because I had all these rib fractures and I I ended up having a chest full of blood and my oxygen was low. So they, they put this face mask oxygen on me. And I remember I took it off like a bad patient because I felt like it was smothering me. You know, I was kind of short of breath and emotional shock and not not panicky. I actually was really calm because um, my self-coaching and my self-talk was God's grace will be sufficient. That I knew I had a life-changing injury, um, but God's grace will be sufficient. And so that's how I coached myself that whole time. I I was going to make that comment that I, I think the most powerful part of what you just said, and I, I mean, I have shivers, 
was the first thing that you thought in your head was I have a T10 life crippling injury and God's grace will be enough. And I think to me, that just really speaks about who you are as a person and, and obviously your mentality to rise above or to, you know, see the good in situations came way before this ever happened for that to be your visceral immediate thought after this horrible thing happens, which to me is just amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, a couple other thoughts on the mountain. Um, my brother is a very avid water skier and just three months prior to my injury in January of 2023, my brother had had a severe water ski injury, probably also going 50 miles an hour. He's a very competitive skier and he had five or six broken ribs and he also had a chest full of blood and went to the operating room. And so I, I was laying there thinking, my brother's gone through this. And then I also thought of my dad. My dad had an injury in um, 1968 in Vietnam on the other side of the world, got shot and laid in a field in the jungle all night. And I thought about him and I thought, now's my turn and I'll get through it. Dad went through it. My brother, Eric went through it and this is my turn. And, and, and so those were the thoughts that comforted me, but I, you're right. I mean, Amy and I have rooted our life in God's word for 20, 30 years or longer. And in my hour of need and desperation, it proved to be true. Yeah. So that was a profound experience for me. And, um, but yeah, I think it'd be, you know, I think Amy should tell her story of getting the phone call. And I mean, this that, was that was actually my really next cool. question. <laughs> yeah. It was Amy's perspective. Cause I, I couldn't imagine going through that too. Well, and I think people ask often ask where was God in a tragedy? And I mean, he was all over in the hands of his people and even people that didn't believe in him, you know, just ambulance workers, hospital workers, but the guys he was with, I feel like you couldn't ask for a better group of guys. They were just God's hands all over him. Um, there was a spinal cord, retired spinal cord surgeon who was on the ski trip with him and he rode on the ambulance with him. He and John, his good friend, I mean, they're just, it was like stepping into a well-oiled machine. These guys just like had everything figured out and they called me and got me there. I mean, I was on a way on a plane trip, a trip to Florida on the way home, landed in Cleveland with my daughter. We were at his parents. They have a vacation home down there. And um, I landed in Cleveland and I saw a missed call from his friend and I'm like, that's weird. So I call him back and they say, Amy, Jason's been in an accident. You need to come. So, I mean, I'm sitting in the plane still in Florida or in Cleveland. Hand my daughter to my sister at the curb and basically hand her my bathing suit. And she hands me her winter coat. And the guys on the ski trip got me a flight. Just immediately go head on to Denver. Um, So that that retired spine surgeon, like he did things for Jason. Like um, he took his wedding ring off and like he handed me his wedding ring like you know, when I get to Cleveland or um, Denver, just the care that they had for him, just so grateful. So for me, it was like God used those guys just to um, come alongside even me, even just presenting the, what had happened. So in, an, in a weird way, I feel like God almost made me just kind of like out of it. Like, oh, they expected me to be just like in shambles and crying when I got to the hospital where he was in surgery and I sat with him in the waiting room and they just coached me through so much like, okay, he's going to be, we're going to see him tonight after surgery, which we did. We saw him in the room. He's going to have all this stuff attached to him. And then we went to a hotel room the next, you know, got all these rooms at a hotel next door to the hospital. Next morning we go in and see him and they had coached me. You're, he's going to probably not be awake. <clears throat> might be a day or two. You could maybe talk to him. He might not hear you. But in summary, he was had just asked to get his tube pulled out that next morning. So I walked in that ICU room and <laughs> I just was like, that's awesome. And 
these guys was so sweet. They were hanging on him. My his friends were like kissing and loving on him, just like I was. I mean, we were just like, oh. like um, but God's why is my voice? Ugh. Yeah, God's hands were all over it, just in his care. And the one of the guys on the trip made him this bracelet that's made a bunch of bracelets for it. it says Team Jason's God's grace is sufficient, which is really cool. Um and yeah, uh, what was I going to say about that? Oh, he he had just asked to get his tube, his, what's it called? Yeah, so I was intubated in the ICU, you know, on a ventilator. And I woke up <laughs> that morning, you know, Monday now. And I knew I had this tube in my throat and I, I couldn't see anybody. So I just kind of started knocking on the bed until the nurse came in. And she's like, you want the tube out? And yeah, and so they pulled my tube and I could talk. And that's right when she showed up in the, that morning. Yeah. Like, so again, like I'm the more verbal one. I'm the one that tells people Jesus loves you. Like what? That's your hope. Like where tables had turned and this guy was pouring out truth. The minute he got that thing out, he's like, Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Like, you know, it was just wow. precious. all these, everyone in there was like, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was super cool just to see him overflowing. And they say when the storm, you know, the Bible verse, when the storms come, you know, it reveals your foundation. So, I mean, truly, even before this had happened in Bible studies, I was in, I was telling the ladies in my group, I want all idols to crumble. Like that's with my brain, but living it, I'm like, ah, like things that I would set myself on, God would continue to let shift. And I was annoyed at the times when that would happen. I'm like, dang it, trying to set myself on, you know, obedient children or a clean house. These are the silly things I think about. <laughs> and God lets that sh- um, sand shift. So I'm like, I just want to be standing on the rock, not God plus easy circumstances, not God plus anything. I just want God alone. So I don't know. I feel like when the storms came, the rock was revealed and God just came up and out of us like, yeah, we just need him. And he was reading in Denver. <laughs> mm. You want to tell him that? Tell him that. Yeah. So I was um, reading a book on humility. I'm not a big New Year's Eve or New Year's resolution guy, but right at the end of 2022, one of my favorite authors had written a book and released it on humility. And so I asked for it for Christmas. Nobody bought it for me. I tried to buy it myself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm halfway through this book on humility. I actually brought it with me to Denver to read. And um, I guess be careful what you ask for. Because nothing will keep you humble like losing control of your legs, your bowels, (laughs) and your bladder. That will keep you humble. <laughs> wow. Now, funny twist. Um, the author lives in the Denver area and a friend of a friend reached out to him and he came and visited me when I was doing my two months of rehabilitation, which was awesome. Um, wow. But if Is you want, go ahead. Book? Is that the book yeah. that you just picked up? Oh, What's it called? Yeah. It's called Humility, A Year of Searching for a Vanishing Virtue. It's by That's Richard okay. Foster. But if you want, I can share some photos briefly, if I can share my screen. And um... yes. And while you're doing that, I definitely, one of the first things I thought of, Amy, when you started sharing, you were with your daughter in Florida. I mean, just the fact of, I'm, tw- I'm well, I just turned 24, but you know, it, in a way y'all are kind of the same age as my parents. And so as a daughter, I'm just curious of y'all have four kids, how... How did you handle that? Was it immediate where you told her what happened or was, did you just well, kind of say, Hey, I got to go to Denver. No, I definitely like, I'm one to tell immediately everybody. <laughs> so my daughter actually, you know, I said something's happened to dad, you know, not, not, it's a pretty bad accident. Um, they think maybe his legs are injured. We don't know. Not sure if he's going to walk. And that might be temporary, but we don't know. Probably not. I feel like we already knew at that time. 
and even calling each of my kids, like we are, our oldest is at Ohio State. And like, I feel like he understood it. And then the whole end of the conversation, you know, this is me talking on the way, you know, to my next flight. So at the very end, he goes, wait, so you mean he might never walk in? I'm like, I'm like, I want to go, yeah, like, that's what I've been telling you. But it was like clicking with him. He's like, oh, I'm like, yeah, you know, so just, I feel like they all just processed it like, okay. And as time went on, people would ask the kids, like, or even Jason would ask, like, how are you guys doing? And our, our second son said it well. He's like, well, it's hard to be pissed if dad's not pissed. Like <laughs> somehow God has just given us grace to be like, okay, this is what you have for us. Yeah. Um, and like at the beginning, I feel like the prayer, and I, I understand that, and they meant well, everyone's prayer was, you know, pray that Jason can walk again. And I'm like, mm. like in Bible studies I've been in, like, there's nothing against that. I mean, God has the power to do any of that, but like, I don't know. I feel like I've learned like, how, how can God need us deeper than just the physical? You know, you're, I, we often pray for grandma's stubbed toe or whatever. What about <laughs> grandma's heart in the midst of her stubbed toe or, you know, so just like going deeper versus the physical. So I just kept telling people at the beginning, I think we're missing the miracle. The miracle is like, Jason's okay with this. Like, mm. like it's okay. Like we trust. It's weird to say, but it's true. Like we trust God that he has bigger purposes and we've already seen tons of that. Like totally true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, that is so true. It's, you know, obviously, as you said, healing, something physical is absolutely a miracle, but how often is it almost 10 times harder of what's in your heart of, of changing someone's disposition towards viewing a situation or, I mean, literally the fact that you were able to be so at peace and, and not even just at peace, but the minute that tube came out, just speaking truth, mm. that's a miracle. I mean, I, I think a lot of people would really struggle with that, especially after, I know I would, after something really mm. hard happens and that in and of itself is, a, I mean, that's a miracle for sure. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think all of us, you know, we can count on suffering. It's like death and taxes. It's, it's inevitable. And, you know, I had lived in an, an adversity free life basically until age 49. And, you know, Nicole, you had shared your story of suffering at a very young age in, in, in the opening podcast of, of the rise above series. And it's coming for all of us. And so I think we have to consider how are we going to cope with it? How are we going to deal with the pain? Number one. And number two, what is our worldview? Like what is our grid or our lens that we're going to try to understand suffering? And I've been thinking a lot about this because I have, I've been invited to speak uh, like on this podcast and at church and at school and other groups. And I mean, there's a lot of unhealthy coping and, you know, some people, pour all their energy into fitness or into their job and climbing the corporate ladder or making a lot of money and buying shiny toys to show off or some people pour themselves into a political cause or some people <laughs> become like captain ahab chasing moby dick and they're obsessed with revenge for the person that harmed them you know, and then there's all sorts of worldviews. I mean, there's, uh, you know, the American worldview, kind of a secular American worldview of suffering is to be avoided. It's meaningless. There's no purpose. Got to avoid it at all costs. Or if it comes, I want it fixed right now. And we put all of our faith into technology, science or medicine is going to fix our suffering, but it it doesn't. And so, yeah, I think my encouragement would be find yourself a firm foundation. And I think it's only going to be found in the Bible. I mean, that's how we have done it. And it has proven to be so true. You know, I, if I could go back to January 29th and change things, I don't think I would. Wow. 
like these last six months have been so profound and so rich and blessing. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I cried every day that first month and sometimes for a few minutes, sometimes for longer, because this is so overwhelming to think, you know, I'm never going to walk again. And how am I going to do life? And am I ever going to heal from all this pain? But there was, I mean, it sounds so strange, but like rehab in Denver was fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there was a lot of laughs and a lot of jokes and a lot of joy mm -hmm. and a lot of meaningful com conversations about what's, you know, what's really important in life. And it changed my perspective. I mean, I always had, a, 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 I think, a good perspective, an eternal perspective and and this life is temporary and the older you get, the faster it goes, but it really is, you know, clarified my perspective on things that are important. Well, and I think this sounds gross, but this is the analogy I use. It, it's like trim the fat. Like there's fluff that like, who cares? Give me a break. Like gets to things that really matter. And, you know, you talked about the American culture or whatever, like, I think of like Disney that says you can do anything or like, you're the warrior, you know, like that sounds all good. But like, for me, that's just like, that's a heavy weight. So, and like you talk about culture doesn't want to talk about weakness for me. Like when we go and talk, like at the end, if he's ever said anything that like makes us look a little like, like good or what I'm like, <laughs> like, I want to say, like, don't even give a hint that we have it together. Like we don't, it's, we're weak and we're empty, but it's God that fills us up. Mm. Hallelujah. It's God. And that sounds so countercultural to be like, I'm weak. This is, you know, doesn't mean like I have a poor self-image. It's I have an appropriate self-image and I don't have self-confidence. I have God confidence because any good that comes out of this is because God's doing it. He fills us up and it just overflows out of us. And it's not like we stare at a blank wall. I mean, we read his word and we we listen to podcasts and things that fill us up with with his truth. Yeah. So I feel like that's that's for me. Like, how cool is that? That God connects hearts through people listening or whatever. It's I have no idea what, what people are going through, but we share God's truths and somehow. It says his word is living and active, which sounds weird. But like, if you've, if you've come to that and you've ever seen that, like a, I call it the holy highlighter. You're like, whoa, like that related with me. So that's all God. Nuts. Yeah. Well, and I think part of the beauty of this podcast is my ability to have such a wide variety of guests on. I mean, obviously the stories are different in and of themselves, but more specifically, how they're able to deal with it. You know, I, I share my story where it took me three years. Like I was mm -hmm. not at the point y'all were at, you know, six months mm -hmm. now, you know, as opposed to when it happened in January, like it, I just had, I, I did, I had a lot of revenge mindset and I can't believe this happened to me and really a woe is me mm -hmm. um, view of, of the world. And, you know, I've had people where it's, taken them even longer on and people where that that ability to stand on firm ground and and see and rise above you know see this as not a circumstance that that, that defines their life but rather one that they can get through and so I, I just think that's so cool of everyone's got their own story and hearing you guys share about where you're at just six months after the accident it's inspiring to me that you know hey you don't have to wait years when mm. something really difficult happens to you like healing is possible immediate you know through the help of of god and, and trusting in a higher power well i was just going to say too just to give an example where i it wasn't fast for me like we, i cared for my mom who lives in and used to live in an in-law suite with us she's now in heaven but like i feel like that was not quick and easy and oh we we're fine with it like at that time i was like oh this is hard, but because, God, because of her worsening dementia. Yeah. Cause she was very forgetful. She, yeah. I was like the caregiver for her, 
but I, I did, I grinned my teeth and I was annoyed and I was like, God, really? You took her brain. Not cool. God. Like, that's what I would say to God, mm -hmm. but I would say God used that like as an opportunity for me to come out a different person to see where he was working in ways that like, yeah, that was major how he worked. Like, even though you did it that with her brain, like you were, you use that. So that was a long process of me like, Bleh. so mm -hmm. I don't know. I know God's going to do his thing either way. Do I want to do it kicking and screaming? Or do I want to say, I'm linking arms with you because you're going to do it either way. Like just do it through me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'd love to see some photos. Okay. Um, if you, if you want to share and then, you know, we've talked a lot about the actual ac accident and, and kind of what that looks like. And I think after that, I'd love to hear about the process after specifically from just a physically healing point of view. Cause I, I personally don't know a whole lot about that recovery process and how your day-to-day -day life has changed and kind of what that looks like. Definitely curious. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So this is, um, the selfie that John took. He's in the red and black and I'm in the gray and black. And that's just a couple of minutes before, um, I had my injury and that's the hill that last you know, thousand yards that I went down. This is me less than 24 hours later in the ICU with a bunch of IVs and tubes and wires. Wow. Um, I just, I have a couple pictures of my physical therapy. That's me that's a standing frame. I actually just got one at home that I get into and it stands me up, which is just beneficial to move my joints and bear weight on my legs because obviously I spend almost my entire day sitting. So to stand is just healthy for circulation, for retaining muscle and bone. And someone just had a golf outing for him last weekend that we didn't even know. And they had this and we funded that a fundraiser, spring. fundraiser for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, oh, that's awesome. That's me also in rehab learning to drive with hand controls, which is a, a whole, you know, I had to become a student driver again. I had to retake <laughs> my driver's test, which was kind of humbling and funny, but I passed. <laughs> that is something super interesting. I guess that totally makes sense that they would have that ability for people mm -hmm. in your similar situation, but I had no clue they had a hand control. Yeah. So I have a, an adapted van. We thought we were out of the minivan stage because our kids are older, but now we're back in the minivan. Back I, in it. <laughs> I roll in the sliding door into the middle row. There's no seats and I can transfer into the driver's seat and then drive with hand controls. I have acceleration and brake. That was a GoFundMe account people set up while we were in Denver and we came home to that van. Very cool. Wow. That speaks to y'all's community. That is, that's amazing. Yeah. Community is, is key to um, coping with suffering, I believe. And I think you may have even oh, yeah, said that, right? mentioned it. I mean, when we suffer alone, we don't suffer well, but when we share it with others and get into community, it's healing and it's, it's gratifying. And I think it's God's design. This is a movie. I'm not going to play it. It's a short clip, but that's just uh, last month. We were at our annual lake vacation in North Carolina. And that's my son and nephew, my sons, my nephew and brother. And they're helping me get out of my wheelchair into the boat long it's so good okay hey guys no, you want to do the chair so after we lift amy's going to roll the chair back so i have an easy access it's going to sit on that child you guys understand yeah sitting him down gently one two three lift chair is out going slow Leg is in. All right, here we go. Sit again. Yeah. One more, one more, one more. Scoot over a little bit, centered in the boat. A little bit more to the left. One, two, three. Oh, we need a little bit more weight up front. 
And oh, so, wow. yeah, awesome. from there, they let me down to the platform. And from there, I just tipped into the water. And it was the first time I'd been in the water since my accident. So that was really, how was that for you? Because <laughs> for me, it was like, cool, I'm floating in the water. And I have barely cried. Like, I mean, I've cried a little since this whole thing. I did take time away to go like two days just to like let it out and talk to God. But it's funny just because I'm game faced. I have to just always be like ready to help or whatever. But this, even watching that video, I'm like, oh my gosh. <clears throat> yeah, I wasn't anticipating that. But just watching that happen, I just was so tender. And he, and normally he's the tender one. And I'm the one that's <laughs> like, ah. Um, but he just got in that water. I mean, this is a boating vacation we've done since our oldest was one, I mean, for 20 years. And he got in the water and was like swimming around and we're all like, oh, be careful. But I just was so tender and I was crying and I'm like whispering to him in the water, like, you need to know that this is, this is like precious. I need you to know that. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> he was out there having fun swimming. And I'm like, this is like noteworthy. And, you know, this author friend that came and was asking everybody questions, I loved her, fav her favorite question. I loved she asked our best friends, a couple um, in front of them. She asked Jason, what is it like to be the paralytic and have your four friends lift you on the mat and watch them sweat? Now that's, you know, here they literally did this, our family, but so many friends have lifted the mat for us, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just God working. We're like amazed of how that's happened. So it was just a precious like visual of what God is allowing to happen. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing those. I love um, just visual as I said before, I'm a visual learner. And to me, it just, it just connects a story so well to be able to see those photos and, you know, it makes me feel like I understand it even more of minutes before this life-changing accident happened, you know, there's you and your buddy on the hill and, and then just seeing your friends lift you into the water. Oh, and there, oh, is that your uh, wheelchair right now? That's heavy duty. So that's, that's pretty sick. Yeah, that's that's an extra wheelchair that was. Yeah, so for the listeners who can't see it yet, it's like a bobcat or a, it's like a small tank with those type of tracks. <laughs> so between my parents, my brother and I, we have 50 acres and that allows me to get around um, anywhere up and down hills and through mud and gravel and stuff like that. And that was 90% paid for by donors at Craig Rehabilitation Hospital in Denver, which was so generous to us. Scholarship fund. Yeah. Very, and, very you know, you had asked, you know, what was the healing and the recovery like? Um, so I spent just over a week in the ICU and with all my rib cage injuries, I mean, I could barely move. I, I had to have IV narcotics just to roll over because I had to roll over twice a day to check my skin for skin injuries, just from lying in bed all day. And, you know, I'm an addiction medicine physician as well as emergency medicine. And so on. I'm on high dose narcotics and I'm worried about, am I going to be able to get off of these? That was one of the thoughts going through my mind, but, um, I spent a total of 56 days at Craig rehabilitation hospital. Once I was discharged from the ICU, separate facilities, about 10 miles away from the hospital and caregiver, you know, so my days there were doing physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, education classes. I would call it like high school going from class to yeah. class to class. I think people thought, oh, you guys are bored and he's just sitting in his room. No. I mean, and they had something for everything you can think of the, go ahead. Yeah. Well, the driving so that I showed a picture of, um, wheelchair class, which is learning how to function in a wheelchair, right? You don't think about it when you're walking, but sidewalks are uneven and there's little cracks and they're sideways and there's curbs you have to get up and down. And so just learning how to use a wheelchair um, and just fitness, just getting upper body strength because, you know, you can see the listeners can't, but I don't have a lot of upper body strength. 
<laughs> so just weight training and, and weightlifting. And, um, but then again, that was, I would say half a recovery. The other half of recovery was going to meals with mm -hmm. other people that had just had spinal cord injuries mm -hmm. and we're all devastated with these life-changing injuries. And so, you know, you make a lot of friends and in community together, you commiserate and talk about things that are difficult and laugh about things that are embarrassing and share tips on how to get up a curb or down the steps or, I mean, they even took us to the airport. We went to Denver International Airport on a little field trip and they took us through TSA security. So we knew what that would be like. And I went up and down an escalator I mean, we can share that video with you. Like, oh, wow. what do you do if the elevators are broken? You have to get up and down the elevator. So we did it. Yeah. Or the escalator. Yeah. So. Yeah, they taught you how to get in and out of a, a airplane chair and what that would look like. And even at Craig, they had airplane chairs and mm -hmm. cars. You slide mm -hmm. up. Yeah. How do you get on and off a bed? So, yeah, just training for daily. Cooking a meal. Going to yeah. the grocery down the block, outside, down the road. Yeah. Yeah. So something that comes to mind, you know, obviously I've never experienced anything half as, as difficult as this, but just in thinking of my own life and various struggles that I face or, you know, even stuff that's really, really small of, but requires you to stay committed and stay dedicated. Mm -hmm. And I've always found, I think it's human nature. It's, it's much easier to be positive in that beginning time, you know, first couple of weeks and you're like, let's do this. Like you know, and, yeah. right, right. The honeymoon phase. Yeah. Applicable to everything. So it's been six months, which is, is a good amount of time. Can you share with us maybe days where you were like, I just don't want to do this anymore. You know, where you struggled with rising above um, and what that looks like and maybe where you drew inspiration from or how you got over that hump. Cause I know those humps for me are hard, you know, figuring out how to get past that. Yeah. So a couple thoughts. Um, first I would say Nicole to you and to all the listeners, I mean, don't, don't look at me or someone like me and say, well, my suffering's trivial, <laughs> you know, because it's not. And I have friends that say, oh, my, the car broke down and I got to take it to the shop and I got to get a ride. And, oh, but Jason's in a wheelchair. Okay, but don't say that because our, our sufferings are, are, they're real and they're difficult. Um, I still do have bad days. I remember one a few weeks ago, just sitting at the kitchen table. And this wasn't normal for me, but I was just getting tearful. And I said, Amy. I'm never going to walk again. It hit me the, just the severity of that. Um, so the way I cope is, you know, I cried. That's okay. And I cry out to God and I pour out my anger and my confusion. And I say, how long and why? And the Bible, by the way, is full of this, especially in the Psalms. The writers of the Psalms cry out to God all the time. But you know how they end, how they end their Psalm? They end the Psalm with positive self-talk, <laughs> like we learned at sales school for Southwestern Advantage. That's no right. joke. They recount the blessings of God. They recount the truths about God, how he has rescued them from their deepest needs of sin and how our identity is in him as a child of God and is loved by God. And because we're loved by God, we are lovely. We don't have to make ourselves lovely. And then he loves us. But we just remind ourselves that we are already loved. And then in community. So I remind myself of God's truths. I read them every day. I cry out to God and I stay in community. And um, that's how I suffer. And, and that's how I, I rise above and how I hope to continue. And I will continue. Yeah. You know, who knows? Maybe 
my goal is for this podcast to reach hundreds of thousands of people. And I'm sure people that have gone through the same thing, their story will touch or your story will touch their lives. But regardless, if their suffering is different, I mean, suffering is universal. And like you had said, that's so true that, you know, we all go through different things and that doesn't mean someone's suffering is less or more, you know, those, those core things about it. We, I think we can share. Yeah. No suffering is trivial. Mm-hmm. Well, and just to say too, a tiny add on to that, it's like that God brings us to the end of ourselves. I think even if it's in a small way, you're just like, I cannot possibly do this, like with a smile on my face or whatever. And like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. he brings us to the end of himself for to show like who he is to us. Like, like he's the sufficient one, like not me. So yeah, he just meets us where we're at, I think. Yeah. So before we end, I am just out of curiosity and and for the listeners to be able to understand and, you know, maybe follow your journey more, explain to us, especially um, I have no affiliation with medicine. So in terms of standing or walking, I mean, is there any, what does that recovery look like for the next 10 years or 20 years? Is there a chance that you could do that or- not really. So for me, I mean, outside of a, of a miracle, no. So spinal cord injuries, and I learned a lot about spinal cord injuries. I, I didn't know that much. Some injuries are incomplete and those patients can have partial recovery or even full recovery. And some injuries are complete. So mine was a complete injury. And after a few days, it's pretty clear if you're incomplete or complete. But I met a patient at Craig Rehab who was a little bit older and she had a neck injury uh, from a ski accident. And she came in in a wheelchair and she walked out of there without a cane. Mm -hmm. It was incredible, complete recovery. And many of us will have um, no improvement and some will have partial improvement. So it just, it depends on the severity of the injury and I think to cope with suffering, you know, a good attitude, positive self-talk, those are definitely important. And there is a connection between the mind and the body, but it's not like, mm, if I just had a, a, a better attitude, I would walk again. Now, the nature of my injury is such that I won't. The spinal cord, when it's injured this severely, does not heal and there, there, I mean, there's some neat technology and it's cool. There's supposedly a guy in, I think, Switzerland or Sweden who has a complete injury who's walking because of some technologies, some microchips they've implanted actually in his brain and in his spinal cord. And that's great. And if that happens, that's great. But my, my hope is not in technology and science and medicine. So, I, you know, Nicole, for some reason on the mountain, I accepted that this was a permanent injury. I told John, I'm never going to walk again. I don't know why, I, how I knew that, or I, I think it was God's grace just to accept it right then and, and be okay with that and Which is learn to live with that. Because I was going in, flying in, thinking I'm ready to just be like game face. Like, yeah, we'll be fine. Thinking I'd have to convince him. And he was already there too. I was like sweet yeah and on the I same page he's the best version of himself now like <laughs> he was in the er and like a lot of er doctors they are burned out so he went back and talked to the residents that are just graduating i'm like want to say sorry that you have to work like he doesn't have a job <laughs> it's terrible um that's that's exactly true you're still working but yeah i feel like he has the bandwidth to like deal with things as parents like he has time for it where before like he'd be like ah, I gotta go to work or yeah so he's got all the time in the world now and he's very nice and kind not that you weren't before but just yeah the bandwidth portal yeah 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 oh and you you had mentioned that at the beginning and I love that you brought that back in the full circle of that moment on the mountain um and you had mentioned we briefly talked before Jason is writing a book yeah. Are y'all are writing it together about y'all's story or? Yeah. And we have a collaborator who is, um, is helping us as well. So yeah, it's a 12 month project, but I'm really excited about it. And 
you know, maybe we should end with, with what I learned that first week at Wheaton College that God is God and I am not. And there's some suffering that is just mysterious. And I have to be humble enough to accept it that on, on this side of heaven, I'm not going to have every single answer. And just like a parent who teaches a two-year-old not to touch a hot stove, that two-year-old has no idea. I mean, how much infinitely higher is God than us? And I just have to trust that um, he's good and he works all things for good, even things that seem senseless and meaningless. Yeah, that's powerful. And I am so grateful that you guys decided to come on. I'm really honored that you shared your story. And I know that it, I mean, it was inspiring to me, it'd be inspiring to the listeners. And um, whenever the book does come out, um, I will share that with my followers and maybe share the link too. Y'all have a website. So if you want to learn more about Jason and Amy and their story, um, I know we just went into super a lot of detail. So, <laughs> but if you want to follow along, I guess is probably a better way to yeah. put that. Then I'll share that. And um, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you everyone for listening. Yeah. Thanks That's for having so cool. us.